Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews, live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? Man, I'm doing fantastic. Awesome week, and so excited to talk to our guest, Cool Rock, someone that I loved listening to when I was growing up. Exactly, the Fat Boys. And, and you know, Damon, when you think about Cool Rock Ski, we're going to call you Cool Rock Ski because I love that. You think about right. the Fat Boys and how they kind of were everyone's childhood that was listening to rap when it first started. It's just like something that you'll never forget that group. It's like going to be iconic a hundred years later, 200 years later. Right. Don't you think? Yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> I mean, you would hope so. I mean, with the, with the, um, with the internet and YouTube and all this stuff. So you would, you know, I guess we'll be around, um, at the, at the same time, good music never fades out, no matter if you have the internet or not, you know, Elvis Presley is still being listened to. And I, I would imagine he would be listened to even if it wasn't for the internet. You know, you have so many other artists. So, you know, but like I said, with the the help of the internet, we'll be around for a long time. All right. Yeah, so Greg, you know, back the Fat Boys, you know, I mean, that's around the same time. Who who was big at that time, right? There was uh, Backstreet Boys, Houdini. New Kids. Yeah. You know, New Kids in the Block had just started out when we, we were out. I mean, yeah. I, I remember hearing about them, you know. It's really the whole premise of rap, like right. Run DMC. Uh, you think about the Fat Boys. You think about Run DMC, LL Cool J, Big that, Papa. That uh, Big Papa's after they. If it wasn't that's after, that's nineties. Yeah, nineties. Oh, really? Yeah, so the eighties. So just to kind of give you the whole thing, Greg. They were so. I mean, Damon, how'd you lose all the weight? Because man, how much did you weigh back in that day? Oh man, my highest was probably three fifteen. Three fifteen and what height? Five seven, five eight. <laughs> five, yeah, five seven, five eight. And so, how did they come up with the whole premise of the Fat Boys? Because I remember I bought manager. the album, Greg. I bought the album. I was in. Uh, let me see what grade seventh, sixth, or seventh grade at that time, and stuff like that. And we all were into it in my, right. my school and everything. We were called the Disco Three at first, and what happened was we won a rap contest. Um, back then, they had you know rap contests were popping up everywhere, so we entered a rap contest out of over almost seven hundred rappers. We came in first place. The first place prize was a recording contract, and we won that. But uh -huh. you know we wanted the DJ equipment, which was the second place prize, because <laughs> you know we were naive to the whole thing about record contracts and all that stuff. We thought record contracts were for professional artists, and we weren't professional. So um, wanted the DJ con DJ equipment. Um, but our manager, who became our manager, he's the one that put together the whole contest. But he became our manager. A lot of people are under the assumption that he was already our manager, and we got to see the contest and won. So I had to clear that up in a lot of interviews lately. Um, he became our manager. And he um, he changed our name from Disco 3 to Fat Boys because he couldn't market the word disco. And by this time, disco was was gone. It was played out. Um, so um, nobody was calling themselves Disco anymore. Um, so he changed the name from Disco 3 to Fat Boys because he could market it better. Um, of course, we fought against it. But, um, you know, it, it kind of stuck after a while. You know. So, so how old were you when you got that contract? <laughs> Um, I was going on, gee, I was, I was 16. I was going on 17, like later on that year. Mark was 15 and Buff had just turned 15. Yeah. So we were, we were kids. Yeah. Minus, you know? 
And yeah. what's was amazing. I didn't know this, Damon, that you're the only living member left of the Fat Boys. Is that true? Yeah, Prince Marky D passed away, unfortunately, in 2021, uh, February, one day before his birthday. Um, uh, and Buff, the human b Buff, passed away in December of 1995. Wow. And did you, you were, you were a human beatbox too, right? Could you do beatboxing no. to all of you? Yeah. No, it was just buff. Really? He never wanted to teach us. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Us. Okay. So you guys were more the rappers and then the human right. beatbox. So that's what, so the human beatbox is like, I mean, that's really what was your brand, right? When people heard that and fat boys and that, you know, and it was before like uh biggie and all those were really rappers were, obese in some sort of way you were like the first to kind of not be that quintessential pretty boy type groups in any type of genre right i think we were the first to express ourselves as far as being yourself kind of act um look at artists now um or artists that came after us in the 90s a lot of them were somewhat overweight um it wasn't i guess the appeal came from the personality with a lot of artists, which, you know, but that's that's artists as a whole. Let's be honest, Mick Jagger's not the best looking guy, but his appeal, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, he can get away with it. So it, 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 that's, that's just what the industry is about. It's like, if you have a certain appeal that they can market, then you're on your way. If they can't market that appeal, if they can't bring it to the audience to convince them, nobody's gonna buy the act, you know? Wow. What what was like your number one like hit? Oh, Wipeout. We did a song with the Beach Boys called Wipeout. And um we met them on the set of our movie Disorderlies. And um we were shooting a movie in California and they came on the set as a cameo. They had a cameo appearance. And uh, our manager thought it'd be a good idea to do a song called Wipeout. So we get that to the studio. We go back home to New York and we listen to the, to, to the song. And the song is like going like 10,000 miles per hour. But he's playing the song of the Safaris version of Wipeout. So we had to slow it down because Wipeout wasn't written by the Beach Boys. It was written by the Safaris. And he had to slow the, the music down and put it more of a Miami-based kind of sound that was going on at that time. And that, you know, and Wipeout became a huge hit you know, for us, you know, and the Beach Boys. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And- and, that, and working with the Beach Boys, that kind of been, been an amazing thing to see what they made in music and how much money they made to be able to be to the level that you guys were, you know, at that age and working with the Beach Boys. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. I think we did one show with them, though, to be honest with you, as far as doing the Wipeout song. We were in Jones Beach in New York, and we happened to be in town because we was off tour for like a couple of days, and they caught us when we was off tour. So we agreed to come out and we performed the song in, in, at, at one of their concerts. But that was like the only, oh no, we performed it also. No, no, we didn't do it there. We performed the song with Chubby Checker at the MTV Awards. But oh the yeah. Beach Boys, yeah, I remember so. that Chubby Checker song with you. Uh, what is it? It was Come On Baby, let's do, <coughs> do the twist. The and twist. you guys were part yeah. of it. Yeah. Do you remember that? Gregory, I guess you were Greg, you're too busy chasing girls while I was still young. <laughs> right, Greg? Right, Greg? Is that, yeah, is that, that could be. I mean, <laughs> because, I mean, I think it, so Greg, Greg is 10 years older. 
or uh, how many years older than me, T- Greg? I'm 51. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, thir- 10 years. Yeah. So oh, yeah, he was. I'm he busy. Was so we got a difference <laughs> in, in things. When I'm talking about, let's see, if I'm 51, Damon, let's think about this. When it was big, I was probably 10, 11 years old, right? About around that. Yeah. So I, so I, I remember about, yeah, about 11. All, all that time. Yeah, no doubt. For sure. Yeah. Okay, Greg. What what else you like? So it's, isn't that interesting? But I mean, there, it was a brand. It showed. I think it showed a brand that if you could be like, some, everyone could think they could be the Fat Boys. That's what made it right. big, Greg. I guess it gave the people the opportunity to be themselves because the industry was always looking for the slender kind of look. Um, and for the women, it was it was even harder. You had to be a certain kind of look, certain kind of size. You know. Um, they kind of broke that mold in the past two or three years with just bringing women out for who they are. But in the 90s and the 80s, yeah, you had to be like a size two in order to make it in the industry, you know? But, um, you know, I think with, the, with, with, with us, as far as males go, uh, I think males have it a little easier in the entertainment industry where they can get by with a lot of things and nobody's going to question it too much. So I guess that I guess that made it work for us as well. I mean, you couldn't have a fat girls group, nothing against that, but I don't think that could have worked. I think with the fat boys, it kind of rubs off the tongue a little better because everybody was called or knew a fat boy growing up and called somebody a fat boy. So it kind of stuck, you know, it kind of stuck throughout the world to say something like that. So it really wasn't that offensive, you know. What projects are you working on now? Projects I'm working on now. I'm working with a uh, rapper by the name of Siggy the Great, and he's a new artist coming out. Um, putting together the documentary, the Fat Boys documentary, and I'm working with Mike Epps on that. And Mike Epps, the comedian. So we're putting that together, and we're trying. And he's with Netflix, so he's as soon as we put the trailer together, he's going to shop it over to Netflix, and hopefully Netflix p- picks it up, and we can go on from there and shoot the documentary. Probably take like a year to shoot a documentary. I would think. Well, yeah, probably. Neil, you're having a documentary made too. That's right. That's right. On my pro wrestling comeback, uh, Cool really? Rock. Uh, I'm a former professional wrestler. Rock wore my knee pads in the 90s. I was in the, didn't make it to the big time, got to Germany. I'm a legitimate 6'10, and I'm decided I'm going back to the ring because it could even build my marketing agency even larger. Because imagine you know, getting followed and that virality. Why do you think people like, uh, you know, Logan Paul with all the money he has, why the heck is he wrestling in the WWE brand, right? The right. power of brand is one of the biggest things. Tell me more yeah. about what you think of that power of brand. A power of brand is, is, um, is everything within the industry of the entertain- entertainment industry. Um, once you put being- Listen, as far as putting the brand out there, you got to put something out there that's going to catch somebody. Um, people are not going to fall just for anything. <laughs> because if you're putting something out there, <laughs> you're putting something out there that everybody has done already, it's not going to go anywhere. So you got to be more different. I think with the Paul brothers, the Logan Paul, and um, what's the other one name? They're boxers, I know that. Jake, Jake but Paul too. Jake but Paul. Logan's a wrestler, Jake's a boxer. Right. But they both are boxers, but Logan decided to go to WWE and instead of keep going into boxing, it matches. So that's what but Logan's- But this, this works, the beauty of this is how it works for them because of the, 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 the internet sensations, their YouTube sensations, right? Now let's take internet and YouTube away. 
from a lot of stuff that's out there right now. Would this stuff even get fly by? No. Like say hundred percent. They they show they figured out certain thing, then figured out their TAM, and then that's where they basically figured out how they make their money, and that's it. Right. Uh, right. Total addressable market. So then they say, okay, now by building this audience in WWE, we're going to get younger and younger people knowing who we are. If they didn't work on right. YouTube, they're going to go to YouTube, or we're going to get an older audience that doesn't go to YouTube. That's why your documentaries, everyone like me remembers the fat boys, but other people, but you put that on Netflix, your music's going to start getting downloaded again like crazy, right? right. That's how it works. Exactly. That's how it works. Exactly. Now, let me ask you this. As far as your comeback into wrestling, what is your shtick going to be that you're a 51 year old man trying to get back into a young sport or that you trying to reclaim what you once had? I, I, I'm basically saying I'm only, there's not many seven footers left in the business. Okay. And in the independence at least, because I'm, I'm right. legit build it as a legitimate seven foot. I made a lot of uh, accomplishments in my pro wrestling career in my twenties. Then I retired at 29. Right. So I'm saying I'm the way back machine 25 years later, back in the ring and competing with all the top people again, but I'm going to go and talk to in my documentary talk, Jerry, the King Lawler, I wrestled in the mid South Coliseum. I'm going to be talking to people that were ran with me in the careers, the headbangers, wherever I was, we're going to interview these people. And I want them to really say, and what I want to teach in this documentary is that's how I learned about the power of brand. That's right. how I built my radio podcast network is through brand through wrestling how i teach people to market is all through wrestling and to wrestling. teach them specifically enough you got to put yourself out there if you don't put yeah. yourself out there like literally yeah. i could just sit here and say i can still get business all day long through my podcast but no i want to go to the next level i want to be a serial right. entrepreneur and the only way is to go viral and how am i going to differentiate myself from little guys like neil patel or get right. gary v is go in the ring Right. Then you get a right. virality of something to happen. Maybe I get signed by the WWE. Who knows? You never know in journeys. And then bam, all you need is that virality. You get this huge following. Even though they're not the ones that are going to buy your product, it makes everyone else attract you even more. That's it. Right. That's the, pretty much the plan. And I like it. I'm going to travel everywhere that I cross paths before. That's you it. You want to play the good guy or the villain? I'm going to be a good guy in Pittsburgh, but I love being a heel. Great. There's nothing better than being a bad guy. There's nothing right. better than being a bad guy to tell people off to say that they're this. That. Right. Right. All right. So now, um, so Greg, if you were asking like, you know, specifically enough, what other questions would you like to ask Damon before we get to the final question? Yeah. Well, I got a real quick question. You got this really cool background of the Hulk. You know, what's that all oh, about? Oh yeah. Yeah. Tell me about that. I've been a Hulk um, admirer. Since I, you know, sometimes I dream of wanting his powers, you know, and, you know, that's just me going into some kind of kitty fantasy or whatever. But I've been a fan of the Hulk for since I was a kid. Like one of my favorite um, cartoon, I mean, one of my favorite Marvel characters. But uh, because he's he's pretty much uh, the matter he gets, the stronger he gets, and nobody can figure him out. But by the time you figure him out, you figure about that he's a good guy. He's just trying to do good. He just yeah. doesn't know how to control his anger. You know, so imagine a, a two-year-old walking up to the Hulk and he's he spins down to shake the hand and the kid starts crying and he just jumps, he just, you know, he can fly, he can leap yeah. like maybe five miles. He just leaps off because he's like, Why can't you accept me for who I am? So that's yeah. what I like about the Hulk. Plus he's strong as as all heck. So. Yeah. Did that's you ever cool. meet Lou Ferringa? Ferrigno? 
Did no, you ever meet I wanted to. I always wanted to meet him. And you think him about... y'all, y'all are both both from New York, so I'm surprised you yeah. haven't met you and Lou. Yeah, I know he was a bodybuilder back in the day. He competed against um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, yeah. but I never got a chance to meet him. What celebrities have you met in your career? A ton, right? Uh, a, a ton a when you're, when you rise. I met a lot, but I think the biggest celebrity I ever met was um, meeting Michael Jackson at the Grammy Awards and oh, him giving wow. us accolades and saying how much he admires us. So wow. the cardinal rule in the music industry is that, you know, if you get a chance to meet Michael Jackson, you've made it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That and having your own core. So I guess we made it, you know? So let's talk about specifically enough, where do you see yourself going? Like with the documentary, do you want to start doing a lot of the uh, sign? Do you do a lot of those events like, like where comic cons and stuff like that to come back? Do you want that kind of thing once the notoriety comes back even further through the Netflix? What do you um, see yourself? You know, the notoriety I want for the two guys. I want for the two guys because they need that. They need um they need their legacy fulfilled as far as what they brought to the to the rap music scene. Um Prince Marky D and Buff. Um so I'm not really into notoriety like that. I'm more into just being somebody want to help somebody out get to their destination. That's why I'm helping out this rapper, particular rapper, Sidney the Great. And um, I'm into just giving back to the younger people who want to do this stuff. But as far as notoriety, um, if it gets to the point where um, the documentary is huge and it's getting, you know, I'd rather do this from home and do interviews than to be on a, a set somewhere, you know, and doing it. I'm not really into not, not into the autograph signing thing and all that. Have you ever been asked to go do the? I, I meant to. I meant to talk it to fans who know about the history of the group, not some Johnny come late. I don't mind. I don't mind the Johnny come late. Don't get me wrong. You're gonna I get a lot to... of new listeners again through. That's right. how. Right. Because they're gonna say, like "What is this?" Who... Right. Who, who the hell are you guys? I, <laughs> my, my, my father, my mother, my great, my friend, my grandfather heard of you guys, but I'm just listening to you. So I'm getting that a lot, though. I'm looking at the comments. I go to YouTube sometimes, look at some of the comments and um some of this old songs that we got. And I've seen a lot of I'm 15 years old. I'm just finding out about this group and I love them. I'm 16 years old. I'm just finding out about this group and I love them. So we get a lot of that, you know. Um, get a lot of 20 year olds hitting me up on DM saying, I just found out who you are. I can't believe I'm talking, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's not just a, a late 40s, uh, 50 year old, uh, you know, 50 year old thing that knows us. It's like the younger people are starting to know us. Exactly. Very All right, cool. Greg, ask your, fa your favorite question to celebrities now. Yeah, you got it. Cool, Rockski. It's been awesome talking to you. So here's my question. I ask all the guests this question. And uh, so here we go. So Tell me, what do you feel is the most important thing in life you've ever learned? Oh, man, the most important thing in life I ever learned is to cherish, cherish the people around you that honestly love you because they're not going to be there after all. You know, they, they get up and leave at any time. So, you know, you cherish your parents. You know, I grew up, but <laughs> my mother and father was very strict, but it was it was it was it was being stripped out of love. It wasn't being stripped because they were mean. But when they're no longer here, you you know, you you all you can do is go back in time and just think about, it, you know. So like the holidays come, Christmas time, you know, I go on YouTube sometimes and just watch old Christmas cartoons and old Christmas commercials. 
Because these are the things I grew up with, commercials from the 70s, Christmas commercials from the 70s, and you just start reminiscing back and being in that house in Brooklyn and growing up and, you know, the house smelling like potato, you know, sweet potato pie and, you know, Christmas cookies are cooking and the, the tree, you decorated, me and my sister decorated the tree, which looked horrible. My mother said, never say anything about it. She just let us do it. But that's the kind of things you reminisce about. And your father coming home from work and, you know, he's he's always he was always mad about something. But, you know, but at the end of the day, he was just he was just a good all around person, you know. And um, I would ask a, a, a certain item for Christmas. And he was always like, I don't know if I'm going to get paid at that time. I'll see what happens. Next to you know Christmas morning, it's under the tree. I'm like, whoa, you know. So you think <laughs> about stuff like that. So like some, like I said, you cherish the people around you that love you. You know, I love that. And you don't take them All for right. granted. That's definite. Well, great show again. Greg learns more and more. I guess. I, I guess <laughs> that, you know the whole thing is cool. Rock is only fifty-seven. Maybe you got to go in the ring and wrestle me. That could be a huge oh, promotion of some not sort. Not at six foot ten. Yeah, you probably, yeah, you yeah, yeah. So because that's the goal is I'm challenging celebrities. I'm smart in this documentary. I'm not getting in a ring with real wrestlers. I'll get wrestled with other people. Like I, 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 I challenged Riddick Bow to a match four years ago. So this has been in the making. And what I want to teach everybody is this: right. if you put whatever you put out there, right. you got to be ready to go do it. And you yeah. should not yeah. allow anyone around you to tell you, you can't do it. You it's up to it. you and your dreams to do it. When we give up our dreams, right. we, we miss out on such big things. And I appreciate oh, yeah. you coming by. Where can people follow you? Best place. Um, I'm on Facebook, Legendary Fat Boy Cool Rock Ski. I think that's what it is. And I'm on IG, the same handle. Uh, legendary fat boy Kurovsky, and of course Kurovsky. I have two pages: Kurovsky and legendary fat boy Kurovsky. All right, we appreciate right. it, sir. All right, that was a special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews live from the Grotto of Greg Hanna. We're back to the Neil Haley Show. My guest today is former NFL player James Harris, Ra Raider, Viking. James, how are you? And we're going to talk about today why the book should be a movie. We're just going to stick right to that. First of all, the book is not the whole story, right? Right. The book is not the whole story. It's a lot more outside of the book. And can you elaborate without giving anything away what is outside of the, outside of the book? Well, what's outside of the book is basically um, things that went on in my life that made me be able and gave me the ability to move around the way that I moved around without anyone knowing what I was doing the whole time. Um, in the movie, it breaks down uh, the beginning and the end of how I began doing what I was doing. Um, and also it shows uh, the different paths and the different ways that I did it and the different people uh, that I, how I did it with. Um, guys that you would never expect um, doing the things that we were doing will walk right past you and you wouldn't recognize them because I didn't pick uh, just normal people to do my business with. And that's the part that's going to blow people away because how could you be playing on an NFL field and, you know, preparing for film every week and be able to run a business at the same time. They're not people that play in the NFL now that could run a regular business, right? Well, I mean, the way that I ran my business was uh, 
I trusted people around me. I had good people. Uh, we understood the task. Uh, they knew that uh, I did not want my uh, football life interrupted with my outside life. And we ran it that way. Um, no one came to me with, with problems unless it was a problem because uh, I had made it very clear for us to, to continue this business. This have to have to be ran. And the way that I ran it was just like a, a guy maybe running a professional baseball team or a professional basketball team or a professional hockey team, or maybe even um, uh, Google or uh, what you call it, any, any big time company. And, and they had a chain of command and things came up to me only when it needed to. And did you know a lot of the, I'm sure in the, in the movie, you're going to find out a lot of the people that you knew that you were able to set up in this certain cities and stuff. And that's the other exciting part about the, of the movie, right? It's going to break well, it down even further. Well, in the movie, it lets you know uh, the, the different cities that I, I did my work in. I didn't do my work in just one city. See, everybody is focusing on St. Louis. St. Louis is a very, very small part of my business. My business really got really loose once I got to Philadelphia, New York, New Jersey, Minneapolis, and uh, California. So that's where my business was really big at, and in Texas. And my main guy out of Florida, you know, so people thinking, oh, St. Louis, St. Louis, it's not about St. Louis. St. Louis is my base. And um, I knew not the shit where I played, you know what I'm saying? So... I didn't play too much in St. Louis. So, okay. So that's smart because then those are the people that, that would look at you, say, look at this NFL guy. I'm going to go snitch on him versus other places. It's not going to happen as much. Because I mean, I'm visible and I'm from the inner city and I knew they was chasing people in St. Louis put them on me and they had nothing on me in St. Louis. Wasn't doing nothing in St. Louis. Now, if they went to California, Minneapolis, New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, and maybe uh, uh, Texas, you might have had some wit. Coming to chasing me around St. Louis, I thought that was kind of dumb, but it was kind of okay with me because I knew I wasn't doing anything there. Yeah, and you think about this movie or uh, TV series, depending on what it ends up being. It's just an unbelievable thing to think something like this is out there that, that really could be done. Do you think any other athlete has ever tried what you've done? I, hope not. I really hope not. Uh, after I look back on it, I think it was very a dumb situation that I put myself into, but I got myself into it years ago and never knew how to get out. So I don't want anybody to think that I'm going fine because I'm not. It was just a way of living that I, I created for myself and I shouldn't have created that. I hate I did it. I did it. It's over now. Um, I look at me doing these videos, doing my book and doing this movie. It's therapeutic for me to get it off my chest because I walked around so many years with this other person living inside of me. I got tired of it and, it, and, and it always looking over my shoulder wondering if anybody ever knew. So you know, people always say, uh, I'm not open book, I'm open book. So anybody want to come and, you know, come behind me and say, um, you know, he was this, he was that. I'm saying it to my, I'm saying it for myself. I don't need you to write my story. I'm going to write my own story because when I'm long and gone, you know, I don't want somebody to come behind me and tell my grandkids, oh, your grandfather was this or your grandfather was that. 
I'm telling my own story the way it should be told because, like I said, I never hurt no one. I disappointed a lot. So uh, my story is things in my life that I'm not proud of, but I did some things in my life to be able to take care of myself right now. The NFL done a great job with me. Understand that I didn't make a lot of money playing the NFL, but it, it gave me a great living. I hurt myself. My back went out. I'm, I'm basically disabled due to the NFL. But by me being able to save some money and put it away from my other business, I'm able to live a little bit better than most guys that's disabled like myself. You know what I mean? Because, wow. I mean, not saying that the NFL doesn't take care of it because they do. I love them. But I didn't make that kind of money like these guys are making now. So I, I had to find me another way of making the money. And I had started making it before I got to the NFL. So I guess I look at it as a supplemental income. When you talk about it, did you ever tell a therapist your story? Did you ever see a therapist after after getting out of jail? Uh, did you ever have those conversations with a therapist to try to get that off your chest? Or this is the therapeutic thing right now? Therapeutic thing right now. That's why I don't want anybody to think that I'm bragging or I'm, I'm, I'm glorifying what I did in the past because it's not. It's just me getting this off my chest. If you want to listen, you can. If you get the book, you would enjoy because I had a fascinating life. Once you see the movie and, and get the opportunity to sit back and realize, like, man, this man was a giver. He was a giver. He wasn't a taker. I didn't take. I didn't. I wasn't standing in the bars popping bottles. I wasn't out fighting and getting stuff like that. I was a giver. I, I, I gave people homes. I gave people brand new teeth. I, I sent people to the dentist. I got operations. I got people books at the doctor. I did everything that I could. Uh, to 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 make myself feel good about the the stupidity thing that I was doing, supplement my income. All right, James. Best place people can go pick up the book is go to Amazon, right? No, 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 not Amazon. Please, everyone, if you're listening, please go to uh, Barnes and Noble and get my book. Barnes and Noble has done a great job with me. I don't have anything against Amazon, but uh, Barnes and Noble have always had my books in stock. They've been on time and. And then if anybody get the opportunity to read this book and you give it to someone that you think that may be trying to live the life that I live, it'd be great for them because it's a great book to show that um, trying to straddle the fence isn't a good thing because you're going to end up in jail or you're going to end up like me trying to get things off my chest at the age of 55. All right, James, we appreciate it and great information again. But this time you're getting me excited because you're giving me more information every time I have you on. Now I know what the movie's going to be about. And I'm reading the book right now. And now I'm just like, whoa, how how could this happen? People check, pick up the book again and uh, we'll talk soon. Appreciate it, James. Pick up the book and I guarantee you enjoy it because the movie going to blow your socks off. All right. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection. I'm your host, Marisa Jones, and I'm joined by my co-host, Neil Haley. Today's guest is Liz Waller. She's one of the stars on Bam Fam, the new reality TV show premiering on Amazon Prime this January. The show follows the power couple, Jason and Liz Waller, as well as their four kids, Hannah, Kenzie, London, and Christian, as they rebuild their billion-dollar empire, 
all while dealing with the complex family dynamics, emotional struggles, and the relentless public scrutiny. Liz met Jason back in high school almost 28 years ago, and she has made a name for herself as well as an upcoming author, philanthropist, and a power mom. Thank you, and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So that is a lot, first of all, like, uh, you've got four kids, you're, you know, you're running a company with your husband, you're putting out a book, like you have all this stuff, and then you're doing it on reality TV. So you're my first reality TV star. Uh, So I'm excited to have you. But tell me first, you know, how you got to where you are today, and, and why you chose to do it publicly with the world. Yeah, so how we really got here is a little different. Um, my husband, we were doing solar for a long time, um, and we did commercials. Well, he did commercials for his solar company and um, did a lot of podcasts. He did a, a podcast of just kind of entrepreneurship and kind of helping people get to a better place in their business, um, struggles, other entrepreneurs um, that you know had built million-dollar companies and sold them and different things. Um, and so one thing kind of led into another and, and the business got bigger and we started doing, um, NFL stadiums and that type of thing. He really branded himself very well. Um, so as he kind of got bigger, people were more and more intrigued and he kind of had like a whole, like little, like look about himself. He had like platinum blonde hair and he's the loud guy. And so, um, you know, he just caught people's attention because he was the different one. So um, people would say like all the time being around us, they're like, how do you do that? And like, he's different when he comes home. Like he kind of checks himself out the door. Um, So yeah, it was, you know, one of those things, everybody was kind of intrigued by the family. So we were asked several times why he was still running solar. Hey, do you want to like do a reality show? And at the time it just wasn't the time he was trying to take the company public. Um, and then some things happened with the parts, you know, um, they just weren't working that we got from Generac. So the company ended up folding and it went fast. And so then our life was really being scrutinized and, um, and the public eye and different news articles and um, death threats and Facebook groups. And it was just a whole lot. So then, you know, we decided at that point, it's like, what do we have to lose? Let people understand who we really are and our family and our dynamic and that we're not something that people paint us to be, that we are actually good individuals. So that's kind of how we got into it this time of saying, you know what, let's do it. (laughs) That's great. So you mentioned, you know, when you started to get your, you know, your business got a, a following, right? And then you started yeah. when it started collapsing, right? Everyone's always on your side cheering. It's kind of, you know, just everyday life. People cheer you on, but then when you're falling, no one wants to be there to catch you. Yeah. Um, so how did you deal with that? Because it it's got to, you know, it's hard when it comes from your family and friends, but it has to be so much harder when it's coming from strangers who have no idea who you are. Yeah, that is the hardest part. Um, You know, people would tell me all the time, like, Liz, stop looking. And it's like, it's almost becomes addicting. You can't stop looking because it's hurting your soul so bad. And you're like, I'm not the person that they're painting us to be. Um, It's, it's almost like detrimental to your mental health. Um, You know, my kids would get bullied at school and friends that I had had for a long time looked at me with like a stink eye of like, you know, are you that person? No, we're not this person. Like the media only wants you to know what they want you to know. Um, And so 
it was really tough. A lot of dark days. Um, I already struggle with depression and anxiety. So when that started, the anxiety was unbearable. Um, not eating, not sleeping, terrified someone was going to come do something to our house because we had already had stuff done to us, to our cars, to our home, um, harassment out in public, harassment online, stalking. Um, it just goes on and on. So my kids were nervous and I just would always tell them, I'm like, you know, just please try to make sure you're watching your surroundings and, and be careful. But they felt stressed out. My son would get so much anxiety. He would start to throw up and we'd have to go to the ER. And they, those were a lot of times last year. So it's hard uh, mentally to go through these things. And then people would say, well, now why do you want to do a reality show? And again, it goes back to, I refuse to let people steal my light. And I want to show my children, do not let bullies win. Stand up for what you believe in. No matter, you can go back at home and go behind your doors and you can cry and you can breathe hard and you can go to yoga and you go to therapy. You can do whatever you need, but don't let those people win. That is the biggest thing of, of having accomplishments, um, you know, and having self-worth. Because if you lay in bed, and you do nothing, then you're going to feel like nothing. You're going to get more depressed. You're going to have more anxiety. Um, but that was several months of my life of having to talk myself off the ledge and say, you know what? I can do this. We do hard things. That's my biggest. That is like, I need to have a shirt made. Um, that is my slogan for the year. Um, I say that a lot. I say we do hard things and we can do this. So um, it was a it was a rough year. But, you know, as the year has gone on, it has gotten better. So it's, it's gotta be hard when, you know, cause I, I, you know, I have a depression, anxiety, and, you know, I struggled with that and it impacted my kids, but, but those were outside, there were no outside sources on top of yeah. that impacting my kids. So how did you, how did you maintain that strength to be able to support yourself and get the help that you need while also trying to protect your kids and support them? What did you do? maybe together as a family to, to make sure that, that you elevated your mental health? Yeah. So I have a very traumatic childhood. Um, so trauma is very like close to my heart. Of, it's very familiar. Um, you know, the biggest things I teach my kids is breathe, take two minutes, breathe, breathing is your best friend, going outside, walking in the grass, barefoot, grounding yourself to the earth, um, sitting by yourself in a room and just listening to your body. Where is my body feeling anxious? Where is my body feeling scared? And really talking to them and saying, you know, I understand how you feel, but we can get through this. Like, what are you feeling in your body that's making you so nervous? Let's talk about it. Let's talk through it. Let's talk reality. You know, what are the true facts? What is our truth? Um, having lots of family dinners, like our family is super close. So family dinners are super important to us. We have a lot going on, but we always make time for each other. So we sit around, we laugh, we talk, um, and just spend time with each other, put our phones away um, and just hang out and say, what'd you do today? Like, how was your day? Um, you know, being involved in, and even doing sports, we do sports. My son plays football a lot. So even going to those games, we go as a family and we sit and you forget about the world because that's just innocent time of, and, and memories, memories are important. So we do take trips. Um, we try to do that a lot. Um, 
So, you know, the fundamental part of, you know, getting back to basics, I feel like are super important just from having trauma in my own life. Um, but self-care is important as being a parent and being a leader. Um, you know, even if you're having a bad day, you know, your kids can't be like the dog that you kick. So you have to take care of yourself, whether that's an Epsom salt bath, you know, just walking around the neighborhood, going outside. My biggest love is I go outside barefoot. That's the Southern girl in me. Um, I love to walk in the grass and just be with nature and to just, you know, feel the grass in my toes and just really take that in. And, you know, um, prayer, a lot of prayer too. And just, you know, and, and friendship, I think too, even if you've made a stranger, um, I talk a lot to strangers. I actually like strangers sometimes because, you know, they don't know you and it's just like, hi, how are you doing today? Like, oh, you look beautiful. I try to tell other women too, like, you look really great today. I hope you're having a good day. And it's just funny, like how people open up to you and they just make you feel good and you have conversation and it's innocent. So um, those are other ways that I think that I, I deal with, you know, depression and anxiety. That, so. You're talking my t kind of language, all the things <laughs> that you do and, and also yeah. talking to strangers. I think it's really important. Even when I'm having a bad day, if I, if I go out of my comfort zone for the day yeah. and reach out and, and talk to a stranger and, and say something to make them smile, it changes my entire demeanor around yeah. as well. It just changes it my whole feelings for the day, you know? Yeah, yeah it, it is. It's crazy. I, I have a short story. I uh, was at the gas station, just filling my car up. I never get gas. I hate gas. Um, and then I walked in the store and I kept feeling like this overwhelming feeling in my body of like, help this lady that, that's at the gas um, pump. You need to give her gas. I ignored it. Um, I go back to my car. I'm kind of fumbling in my car. She's still fumbling in hers. And I go, I walk up to the window. I go, please don't think I'm crazy. But like, I have an overwhelming feeling like, you know, like God speaking to me and saying that I need to help you today. Please don't be offended. I need to fill up your gas tank. And she started crying and she goes, I literally, literally have $8 in my account. I was trying to figure out how I was going to fill up my gas tank. So she's thanking me. And all I can do is thank her. I'm like, you don't understand. I am so glad that I met you today and that I could help you. You're the blessing to me. I know I'm a blessing to you, but you are, you are truly a blessing to me. So um, it's crazy. It's just, you got to put yourself out there and do crazy things sometimes like offer things. <laughs> you know, I think when we are silent um, people, you know, God does speak to us. I had a very, very similar experience just two weeks ago with uh, an Uber driver and I bought her groceries and it was the same oh thing. God. She was crying. Oh she has God. a young kid at home and I don't know what it prompted. And I was having a a really bad day. Yeah. <laughs> and, but then you uh, feel great. Yeah. Then you're just like, my day is so much better because you see the smile on someone else's face. And I love that feeling more than anything. That's wonderful. So tell us about your book. Um, you, it's, it says upcoming author. So are you, are, do you have something yeah. coming out and what prompted yeah. you to write a book? So I have about 10 chapters in. I am a big procrastinator when it comes to finishing because um, it is very, um, it's very dark and deep for me because I don't want it to be a, a very shallow book that I feel like some books are. Um, when people talk about their childhood, sometimes people leave stuff out and I have a dark childhood. My my dad went to prison when I was nine for 13 years and um, 
I slept in a bathtub for about two years of my life. I was terrified to sleep in my room alone. Um, I, I have had so many traumatic things happen. I've, you know, I ran away from home all the time. I've tried to commit suicide several times. Um, you know, I've had an abortion when I was 15. I, I mean, I live with my grandmother, um, because my mom, we just didn't see eye to eye and, um, you know, married, obviously my high school sweetheart. And we've had lots of troubles in our marriage because when, you know, when you meet someone young, you grow up together, you don't know what you're doing, even though you feel like, you know, all things when you're 18 years old, um, you don't. So I just wanted it to be very raw and almost a little bit dark because I wanted people to know that. You don't have to have alcohol addictions. You don't have to have drug addictions, um, you know, to fix that pain. Like if you honestly go and you seek help, and I know it's not for everybody, um, to each is their own, um, but talking is the best medicine. Um, talking to people, letting people know how you feel, being open and honest, not keeping feelings in just because you don't want to hurt others um, and letting people know like you can make it. Like, it's okay. Like everyone has dark days and um, you can make it out. And I've had a lot. I still struggle to this day with depression. Like I said, with anxiety, um, I could be driving down the road and have a, a horrible panic attack. And at this point in my life, I understand what that is. But young children don't. They think they're dying. They feel like they're dying. They can't breathe. And maybe, you know, they don't have both parents or, you know, you have a single mom. Um, just trying to like, let everyone understand there's so many different angles to life and there's the kid's perspective. There's a, an adult perspective, you know, and helping understand those two kind of, you know, cause now I'm an adult and I'm like, I think back and I'm like, well, what would I have done if it was my child? Um, but it is, it's, it's a lot of, um, and it has some good times in there. I don't have all bad in my life <laughs> and I'm super grateful for my life. Um, but I'm also grateful for a lot of people that were in my life, like my grandmother. She saved my life. So, um, you know, I think, think if I can share that with others, I think that's a huge win for me and help one person, just one person. That would be great. You know, you know, we all we all say that right when we write because I, I published my memoirs as, uh, as well with yeah. a lot of abuse uh, in my past. And mm -hmm. It's amazing. I said the same thing. Like I wasn't really sure who I was writing it for, but once I published it, like so many people came out and just yeah. started telling me about the skeletons in their closet and it just made it okay for them. And sorry, my dogs are wrestling. No, you're fine. <laughs> they just decided to have a wrestling match. Um, that's life. Uh, so um, they, so, you know, so many people started coming out of the woodwork and now here it is, you know, four years later, um, or five years later, and I've helped more than one person. And it's just, yeah. it's so satisfying when, when you put your story out there, because I'm sure somebody out here is listening to your story and something you said resonated yeah. with them. And it's so powerful just talking, like you said, you know, our stories are so important and are, you know, just talking about it um, is healing for, for us. It is, it is. And it's, you know, and I think a lot of people that have been through trauma, um, that helps heal your body, it, it, you know, you heal your soul by helping other people. Um, 
And if you don't have tons of trauma, you just don't understand. And so I love helping people. It's like the best medicine for me. I could take so many antidepressants and I'm still not going to get the feeling that I get when I help others. Um, and I would love to like not really work and just help people, you know, have <laughs> a big foundation and like people just come and, you know, I, I have other loves in my life. Um, even like the fentanyl, like problem that we have in the U S and um, my daughter actually got accidentally, um, overdosed on fentanyl and, and died oh for, for a couple of minutes and came back. And so, um, my daughter now deals with tons of anxiety and, and, and a mental health issue, um, because that just happened this past summer. So I, I feel like I have many calls in my life and, um, that's why when we do these podcasts and stuff, I talk about all of them. If I can just throw them in and I, and we talk about it on the BAM fam and we talk about, it's like real and raw and it's super, um, it's, it's not comfortable, you know, it, it's, it's like very personal and people will always say bad things and that's okay. And like, I tell my kids, you have to talk about all those feelings because again, there's a, a girl out there that some, or a guy that have, you know, something has happened to them and now they're struggling. You know, my daughter would struggle to go into the grocery store. She didn't want to touch the gas pump at the gas station. She was terrified. Everything had fentanyl on it. Um, so now I have a whole new thing in our family where, you know, my daughter's afraid of everything. And so, you know, mental health is, is very close to my heart. Um, you know, it's, it's something that we don't talk about enough in the world and that, you know, I think a lot of people get shamed. And so that was one of the things on the BAM fam. Like, I want people to know, like, it is okay to have mental illness. It's okay to be depressed. It's okay to have anxiety. Like you're not weird. You know, it's normal especially after the pandemic, I think a lot of people struggle and kids nowadays, social media, social bullying, there's so many things and all of those things are close to my heart. So that's one of my hopes with having the show is that I can do so much more than just be a family that's just on TV and it's like, look what I have and look at, you know, my endorsements and it's like, be like me. I don't want to be that way. I really want people to love us and understand us and understand what we do for a living. And we do um, have, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I flip homes as well, have four kids, have two grandkids that you can do all these things. Um, it's not easy, but we can do them mm -hmm. and we can do them together. I more than happy to, if people DM me, I will be your friend. I will listen. You need a person to talk to I'm there. So I think that's my biggest thing with this, this um, show. I really want it to be more than just you know, your typical reality show of, you know, the makeup, the hair, all the things. I wanted to touch people's lives and I want them to fall in love with our family and understand like we are, we are very normal and, you know, we, it's a lot of hard work from where we are now. So, um, that's, that's my goal. So. I love it. And I like that you said normal because a lot of people that, are struggling with mental health issues, they always think they're the only one, even yeah. though they know the stats, right? Even though they know that people have addictions or abuse or, yeah. you know, whatever, whatever the, the mental health issue is, but they, they still feel all alone, no matter how many times they've heard somebody tell a story, they feel all alone. So I think yeah. you're doing a great thing. I'm excited you. that you're sharing all of this on your reality show. Uh, I'm actually looking forward to watching it. Um, I have Amazon Prime. I don't have a television. Yeah. 
but I do have oh, Amazon Prime. Yeah. So I'm excited <laughs> that I will be able to watch it. And I think you're great. I love your energy. I love what you're Thank doing you. in life. And you have a great, really great and healthy perspective. I think it's Thank wonderful. You. Thank you. So where can where can people find you? Um, my Instagram, I'm horrible at social media. It's um, I actually need to look. It's Liz Waller27. Um, or the Bam Fam. We're on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. Um, you know, Bam Fam gets updated a lot daily. So you see a lot of interactions with our family, a lot of stories, that type of thing. I'm not a huge poster, <laughs> um, but I do, you know, pay attention to other things. If somebody were to DM me, just even like ask for help. I'm here. I look, um, but I'm just not a great, like, I don't put my stories out there, but Bam Fam for sure. Um, to check us out and follow us and ask questions, interact. We would love that. Um, different things they want to see or or whatever. Um, we're always open to that. So, yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much. It's really yeah, great to have you. you here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Anytime. Bye-bye. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection. I'm your host, Marisa Jones, and I'm joined by uh, my co-host, Neil Haley. One. Hi, I'm Marisa Jones. And hi, welcome to Women's CEO and Reflection. I'm your host, Marisa Jones. Today's guest is Jennifer Marvin. She's Vice President of Women in Engineering at Online Leadership Training, a career coaching and leadership training company. And she's a senior project engineer at the Boeing Company. She's also the founder and owner of Boss Babe Yoga a boutique yoga studio near Seattle, Washington. Jennifer also serves as the president-elect of Housing Hope, a nonprofit ending homelessness. Jen makes mental health a priority following her brother's death to suicide and her own diagnosed mental health issues. She's a mentor to young women who suffer from bipolar disorder and a coach for women leaders. Welcome to the show, Jen. Thank you, Marissa. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, my goodness. You are a woman of many trades. Tell me first, you know, what's your journey that kind of led you to, you know, you're a project engineer at, at the Boeing company. And then you also uh, have your own company doing Boss Babe Yoga. Tell me all about it. Yeah. So after uh, a 30 year, about 30 years in industry and having raised my children, I have a stepson who's 37 and a daughter who's 29 and a daughter who's 25. So I was an empty nester and I was approached by Luke Feldmeyer, the founder of online leadership training to be a career coach and to focus on women in engineering. And I found that to be a great fit. I had moved out of management at the Boeing company about seven years ago and really missed the employee development portion of the job. And this was an a, a opportunity to supplement that. And then also I went through the invite change coaching curriculum. So I'm on my way to becoming an accredited uh, coach. Uh, so then I uh, was looking for a little bit more to do and had always wanted to own my own yoga studio. And so I found an online yoga teacher training in April and converted a shed on my property and my backyard is big and flat. And I've had... Uh, I think about 10 class, maybe even more than that, probably at least a dozen classes with 
just sometimes only a couple people, but sometimes about 10 people. And it helps me maintain my own yoga practice two hours a week, even just makes such a big difference for mood and physical fitness. And then, um, yeah, the, yeah. So those three things between my job now and the career coaching and the yoga have keep me pretty busy. It definitely sounds like it. Um, I want to talk a little bit first about the yoga. So, um, you know, I did yoga for a lot of years and it really does help with mental health issues. It helps with depression. It really helps releasing emotion. Uh, what was it that that started you into yoga? And and did you find what you were looking for in the studios or is that why you started, you know, your own practice? Yeah, that's a great question. I I originally remember as a little kid watching a Hatha Yoga public television show filmed out of Milwaukee, where I'm from, with my mother when I was a little girl. And there was a, a woman, I think her name was Kate Middleton, that ran, had this very soothing voice that talked about yoga. And it was very 1970s-ish. And then fast forward, really didn't do any yoga until my 20s. I was on a girl's trip with my sorority sisters and the uh, sorority sister who coordinated the trip found a yoga class for us to go to. And there was a woman in that class that must have been about 70 at the time. And I was like, that's the kind of shape I want to be in when I was 70. She wasn't, you know, doing crazy poses or anything, but she was just very like fit, right? And flexible and mobile. And all the, I think you do get a yoga glow also from um, participating in yoga. So I always kept them in the back of my mind. And then whenever I could found classes for a long time, my uh, corporation that I worked for in Wisconsin, Kimberly Clark, had a 6am yoga class Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and a spin class Tuesday, Thursday. So I did that routine for probably at least uh, at least five years, if not longer, and kept that on when I was transferred to the mill in Everett, Washington, which was another big leadership job. I had, had 120 people making Viva paper towel 24-7, 365, and I was able to get in for a yoga class before work uh, during then. And then, um, yeah, looking at the the type of training that I went through just going online and also being you know not your typical 20 something pretzel yoga student right I'm a plus size woman over 50 I didn't I didn't even look for studio uh, positions and had this space and just opened my own studio that's great. I love it. You know, it's, it's, uh, I have, I have some friends, you know, who do yoga and they don't, they don't do it for the mental health. They do, they just strictly do it for the exercise, you know, um, they, you know, they'll, they'll go and do it. You know, they like the hot yoga or the fast yoga, you know, all of that. I've always done it from the meditative perspective because that really helps me maintain balance. And because of that, I found doing yoga at home, was much better for me. You know, mm-hmm. it was more, it was more just quiet because I didn't really resonate in the studios either mm-hmm. uh, with the women. That's why I was asking you because I didn't always feel like I was like them at all for whatever mm-hmm. reason, you know? Um, so I think it's great. How do you, um, 
you probably have like a really nice big shed. <laughs> That's got to be so fun to be able to do it in your backyard. Do you do it like in between breaks, like during the day or is it uh, evenings and weekends? Yeah, it's evenings and weekends. So right now I'm just offering two classes. I can really only handle teaching two classes a week and still have the rest of my social life. So I, I'll be teaching a class tonight at 6.30, 6.30 to 7.30. I do a restorative yoga class. So uh, really, e really easy as a yoga teacher to teach because you pick about half a dozen poses and then you have props and you hold those poses for like five minutes each. And I do a guided meditation at the end. And we do a few poses at the beginning, the moon sal salutations, which is mountain and palm tree and then goddess pose.